Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. The time. We will have conflict in this world, whether we want it or not, and I do not want it. But we're here to talk about conflict as the third in our relationship series today. In John, the Bible says, in this world you will have trouble. I guess Adam and Eve had a little bit of time when it was peaceful. And then Eve engaged with the serpent, and the rest is history. We've been in conflict ever since. There was an interview on the Anderson Cooper show one time when a leading marital researcher was asked, what is the main thing that couples fight about? And this researcher said, according to scientific statistic and research, the main thing that couples fight about is one word, and that word is nothing. The power of nothing to create conflict in our lives. How does this happen? There are lots of reasons. I witnessed one of them on Thursday night. My parents were in town for something they were going to the next day, and they were staying at a hotel in Houston, and they said, why don't y'all come eat dinner with us? So we drove to the hotel, and we ate dinner with them, and when it was over, the, the check came, and my dad was signing it to their room, and he said, in his, for some reason, he keeps talking in a more quiet voice all the time, and then my mother can hear less and less well all the time, and he said, Patty, it's room 946, Right? And she looks at him and she says, no, nine, four, six. Nothing can become something. Luckily, we were there to laugh with them instead of one of them saying, you never speak up. And the other one saying, you always correct me. And on and on it can go. So a lot of times, nothing becomes something based on misunderstanding The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That might be the best advice we get all day long. I base my reactions all day long, inwardly and outwardly, on how I perceive a situation at that time. Do I really understand myself and why I act or think the way I do? Do I really understand the person I'm relating with and why they think or act the way they do? If I understood both of those things, my reactions and actions would be significantly different at times. If I knew someone was struggling with something, I would excuse certain behaviors. If I knew that they thought or had misinformation about something, I would excuse their response. Everything would become less and less about me, less insulting. Understanding helps nothing remain nothing. People of understanding control their anchor. A hot temper shows great foolishness. How else does nothing become something? Sometimes it does based on assumptions. There was once a man taking a flight, and in the airport he went to the vending machine and he got a package of cookies out of there, and he put it in his briefcase, and he got on the plane, and lucky man, he had an empty seat next to him, and then a woman was next to that. And after a while, the, um, the flight got started, and these cookies were sitting on the seat in between them, and the gall of this woman, she reached over, she opened up the bag of cookies, she took one, 
And then she offered one to him. He could not believe it. After a little while, she took another one. She offered one to him. He just got more and more incredulous as time went on. And as they ended their flight, they got up. She grabbed the package of cookies, put it in her purse, and they walked off. And he just thought, I have never experienced that kind of gall in my life before. He was hot until he looked in his briefcase and found that he had never taken his package of cookies out of his briefcase. That changes everything. What happens when you and I assume my kids still think it's hilarious that it makes something out of you and me? Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions. So their conclusions will be wicked madness. Do we react and act out of false assumptions as if they're true? With great pride, I know what's going on here. Maybe it's good for us to step back. Nothing can become something based on unforgiveness. There's a book called Love in the Time of Cholera, in which the story is told of this couple who had distinct duties in their home. And the woman's duties were to keep all the supplies for the house, keep the house in order, keep the the towels out and the soap and replenish whatever's needed. And one day she forgot to put a new bar of soap in the shower. And the husband, in a very exaggerated way, said, well, it would be nice to take a shower with a bar of soap I haven't gotten to in at least a week, which wasn't really true. And the wife reacted in such a strong way, she vehemently denied that she forgot to put the soap out. And it became such a sore subject that they didn't sleep in the same room and they ate in silence for several months. The author says, even when they were old and placid, they were careful about bringing it up. For the barely healed wounds could begin to bleed again as if they had been inflicted only yesterday. How can a bar of soap ruin a marriage? Here's how. Neither partner was willing to set aside their pride and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me for my part in the bar of soap incident. And so it becomes something that is a defining part of their relationship. If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. What? That's frightening. The Lord's Prayer says it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, doesn't it? What I think it means is when we have a spirit of unforgiveness, we're closed off, we're prideful, we're unmoving. God is not able to sink in. How could we possibly receive anything good from God when we have closed ourselves off in that way? When we're forgiving, when we're gracious, when we're not prideful and closed off, God can do all kinds of things within us. So God cannot forgive your sin if you are not a forgiver yourself. You have come to Jesus who speaks of forgiveness instead of crying for vengeance. And in Romans, the Bible says, don't take revenge, dear friends. 
For this is God's job. God will pay people back in whatever way is God's way, and it will be made right. You know, my kids are, have a big age spread, and sometimes the older one who's the daughter likes to mother the younger one, and sometimes she mothers him so fast that I didn't get a chance to discipline him, and I just back off. I say, well, you already did it. I would have done something worse. <laughs> She missed her chance. Let God pay back and make the debt even in his own way. Sometimes we can't avoid a conflict. Sometimes we can't fix a conflict, even if we're forgiving. But we can choose how we respond personally. We are not victims of conflict. We have tons of control, lots of power, to do what God is calling us to do. God and I are partners. That's the strongest partnership there is. Whatever's going on out here to the side is tiny compared to the partnership between God and me, between you and God, and between the power that he can give you through his word and awareness cannot be compared to. You have power. The beautiful thing about making choices with God instead of my own knee-jerk reactions is that it has implications that go way beyond me. The Bible says that the sins of the parents are visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. What this means is that whatever you and I are doing affects the people around us, most especially those who are closest to us and are learning their habits from us. And so whatever we're doing, if we are conflict causers or we're keeping conflict going, if we're prideful, if we're insulted easily, if we're holding grudges, if we have a, you know, if we have a cycle of conflict in our lives, if it's very dramatic in a negative way, then people around us are learning that and it will continue on for who knows how long. Maybe you've inherited something like that in your own family or your own environment growing up. Well, you have the power, the control, and the partner to be able to create a new cycle for those who are around you now. And if you're in the middle of it, it seems like it's too late. My kids are too old. The people around me are already doing what I'm doing. Go to them and ask their forgiveness. I recognize what's been going on, and I don't like it. I don't want to be that way. I am going to work with God to create a new cycle, a new habit. How are we going to live in a harmonious way, though? Because there's conflict all around us, whether we want it or not. Let's start with spiritual duct tape. How about that? My husband had um, gum surgery this week, so he's not talking a lot. So I haven't had to get the duct tape out. There he is last week. Duct tape is just a symbol for us. Self-control, God control in our lives. Something that looks unpleasant but can lead to a much better end than we imagine. In James it says, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we would also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. 
Jesus said, if your hand is causing you to sin, it's better to cut it off than to keep it and keep sinning. Now, that was an overstatement, a hyperbole that he used on purpose to make a point. What he means is, put duct tape over your mouth if you have to. Cut off your hand if you have to. Do whatever you have to do to keep from sinning because the sin in your life is so much more destructive than anything else. If you have any impulse or any tendency in your life that causes you to create conflict or to remain in conflict or to cause it for someone else, you do whatever you have to do to keep that natural tendency in check. Do whatever you have to do with God and his help. There's an author named Stormy Omartian, or Martian maybe, is how you say it, who writes a lot of good books on prayer. And one of them is called The Power of the Praying Wife. She tells a story about a woman named Dana. She said, Dana saturates herself in God's word. Don't you love that image? Think about the sponge in your sink. What's it like when it's just saturated with water? You can see the beads of water on top and it's just dripping off a little bit. It's just completely full. How would you like to be like that sponge, full of God with it just dripping off? How beautiful. Dana saturates herself in God's word and she knows God's voice. That's a byproduct of saturating yourself in God's presence and in his word. Pray all the time. I just want to say, Prayer is nothing but a conversation. It's everything. It's a conversation with God. It's when you're driving down the road. It's when you're walking in your house. It's when you get up in the morning, when you're in the grocery store, when you're at school, when you're at work. It's talking to God. He's your constant companion. He's waiting for you to answer him. He's talking with you all the time. So saturate yourself with God. Dana, though, had had several health issues and been in and out of hospitals for years. It had taken a big toll on their marriage. Their marriage was strained. Her husband had become an angry person. He was yelling. She had a long list of his offenses, and they were both really having a hard time. Well, time went by. She was getting a little healthier. They had a date night, and she was very excited about what this date night would bring. She got a cute little black dress. She had put on some weight and was looking healthier, and she was waiting for the date night and for a compliment about how she looked in her little black dress. So they went out, and do you know what he did? He rushed through the date so he could get back to work. She was so disappointed, so hurt. She slept on it that night, but the next morning she got up, she went into his home office, and she had a few choice words for him and a list as long as Santa Claus. Here are her words. She says, with only five steps left before entering the battlefield, I heard a whisper, Dana, keep your mouth shut. Do not say what you want to say. I knew who it was, and I didn't want to hear. What? Are you kidding me, Lord? This wasn't the first time God had used spiritual duct tape to stem my babble. Let me interject here. Just with one word, the word pause, can be a very valuable, valuable tool in your conflict tool belt. Practice the pause. When you're in doubt, pause. When you're tired, pause. When you're angry, pause. When you're stressed, pause. 
And when you pause, pray. Give God a chance to seep into your soul, to show you the way. Dana continues, I knew I needed to obey. The door to the office opened. My husband spun around in his chair, and he said, hey, what's up? And all that came out of my mouth was, I just came in here to tell you that I love you. It was a lie. Not the love you part, because I do love my husband. But that's not what I went in there for. I stood there for a few seconds, not quite believing what had come out of my mouth. He smiled. I love you too, he said as I turned around and headed out the door. What just happened? The tears began to fall. I truly could not remember nine of the ten items that had been stuck in my brain for countless weeks. Okay, I remembered the black dress that was just the night before. But the most amazing thing was that it held no power over me anymore. My anger was gone. My self-righteousness was gone. My need for him to say, please forgive me, was gone. Obeying God, that's all it took. And the reward was a spiritual bath to my soul. Wow. Who would have thought that not doing what you desperately wanted to do would end up getting you what you desperately wanted. When doing what she desperately wanted to do would not have gotten her what she wanted. She said later that night, he came to me and we talked and we prayed and we asked each other for forgiveness. And it was a new beginning. God knew what she needed what they needed. Our understanding is flawed. Our assumptions are flawed. Our ability to forgive is limited. And there are times when we have to do what does not feel natural. But God wants the best for us. And he shows us what that is. Let's look at his word. That's one of the places where he shows us what will really work in our lives. The book of Proverbs is a wisdom book written by the wise King Solomon, the son of King David. Solomon, if you remember, was the one who resolved a famous conflict between two mothers who came to him with one baby, both claiming it was their baby. And he said, okay, well, let's just take this baby I'll cut the baby in half, and you can each have half. And one of the women said, no, she can have the baby. And Solomon said, you must be the mother. I'll give you the baby. He was a wise, smart king. And he wrote about God's wisdom. God wrote through him. You don't want to end your life full of of regrets, nothing but sin and bones. Oh, I love that phrase. I don't want to just be sin and bones at the end of my life or during it or at any time. You don't want to be sin and bones saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me? Why did I reject a disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I haven't one blessed thing to show for my life. 
We'll remember together a few of the things that the Bible says about success in life and in conflict. Um, And there are many more, but lying. God hates a tongue that lies, a troublemaker in the family. Lying causes trouble, causes conflict. Gossip, gossip separates the best of friends. Hot temper, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Hatred, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Pride, this is a big one. This is what got Adam and Eve. Hubris, the desire to be like God, to be more. Pride leads leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. You do have to be humble to take advice, don't you? And the good news is, if you use God's guidelines to make choices instead of your feelings for knee-jerk reactions, eventually your feelings will go along with the good choices. It is not hypocritical to do the right thing even though you don't feel like it. It is smart, it is obedient, and it is God's way of taking you to the place where what you want is what he wants, not what you used to want. It's like a horse accepting a bit or me putting duct tape over my mouth. It will take me where I want to go, like Dana. How else can we avoid conflict? What else does God give us? The women's ministry just finished studying the armor of God. Now, maybe really familiar to many of us, it's from Ephesians 6, talks about the different pieces of armor. God gives us armor to teach us and to protect us. And why wouldn't we use these things that he's given us? The Bible says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. I wish Dina Dubler was here to stand and put on the armor like she did in women's Bible study. She put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and even the the sparkly silver high-heeled shoes of peace. Yes, she did. Why does it matter? Listen to this. Joyce Meyer says some good things sometimes. Thinking about what you're thinking about is very valuable to Satan because he usually deceives a person into thinking that the source of their misery or trouble is something other than what it is. He wants people to think they're unhappy because of what's going on around them. But the misery is actually due to what's going on inside them their thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. The thoughts we allow into our minds and our hearts begin to shape us in the type of person that we're growing to be. As you think, so you are. The things you say in the midst of a conflict reveal what's in your heart. Uh Uh-oh, no more hide and seek. You cannot hide the truth of who you are because conflict or not, it shows. It comes out. But especially in conflict or times of stress or being tired, we're weakened, our defenses are down, and what's really in there jumps out. And you just have to hope it's not as ugly as sin. Yuck. Yuck. 
We all hate that. Two pieces of armor in particular I want to mention. One is the belt of truth. The enemy loves to deceive us so that we don't understand things right. We do assume the wrong things. We think something's true that's not true. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. And I don't want to give him too much credit or too much power, but I will say he is happy when we take a lie and believe it is true and act on it as if it is true. God is the author of all truth. He's the only one who has the corner on truth. You and I don't have it, even though we think we do. The world around us does not have a sense of truth in many, many cases. If we want to really understand what's what, we have to go to the source. Don't kid yourself into thinking you can figure things out on your own. You must receive the Spirit of God in your daily, minute-by-minute life, and you must be familiar with his word, going to it over and over again. And finally, the uh, helmet of salvation. This is more than just a helmet. It's a protector for your brain, and your brain is your center of your personality. God created you in his image. Keep that intact. Do not let uh, the flaming arrows of the enemy get in there and plant different thoughts, personality traits, in your mind and in your heart that are not of God. Keep intact the image of God he created you with. But also, I mean, we're all imperfect. We're not perfect images of God. But that helmet is also of God, and his truth seeps in through you. So take on more and more through that, uh, the things that God makes available to us, the wisdom. And finally, in the most powerful expression of God's help for us in conflict is the power of Christ. Jesus did not live a day on earth without conflict, I'm sure. We certainly read about it in the Bible. From conflict to conflict to conflict, people were challenging him. People were against him. They were threatened by him. They were afraid of him. They did not like him because of these things. And so conflict after conflict, how did Jesus handle them? Jesus shows us that conflict can have a positive outcome. So I want to avoid conflict. I'm pretty good at doing that, but sometimes that's not the smartest thing to do. Jesus shows us how conflict can be productive. First, it helps us to gain understanding. Remember when the little children were coming to Jesus and he said um, to his disciples who were saying, keep the kids away, keep the kids away, this important person is talking. And Jesus said, no, let those children come to me because the kingdom of heaven is for people just like this. His best friends did not really understand him that well. And they showed it in this conflict of belief about what should happen in that moment. And he showed them with his response the nature of God. They understood him better after that. Another example, Jesus took a stand for God. Remember when he went to the temple? And there were these people we call money changers. They had spread out their tables all around, and what they were doing is that they were cheating people out of their money. Lots of poor rural people had walked long distances to get to the temple for a celebration, an observance of God, and one of the parts of that observance was they had to make a sacrifice for their sins. Remember, Jesus has not died and raised from the the dead yet, so the ultimate sacrifice has not been made. And the Hebrews were called to recognize their sin and how short they fall by sacrificing a dove or a goat or whatever's called for for that occasion. 
So they would come at the end of this long, dusty journey to the temple. They're finally there. They can't carry their sacrifice with them. It's too long a journey, and they have to get there and buy it. And outside the temple gates, these, um, these people were taking advantage of that by overcharging for the little doves they had to buy and things like that. Jesus was infuriated. How dare you take advantage of God's people doing good in this way? And he flipped over those tables and he said no more. Now that's a conflict in which he did not harm anyone, but I'm telling you, God took a stand. Do not be afraid of conflicts when you feel guided by God to take a stand for what is right. It's an honor to do that. And then Jesus showed us the nature of God through conflict. He shows us that conflict's an opportunity for God to share what he's like. The ultimate conflict in all of history is that between God himself and his created beings who reject him. God wanting to embrace us and us pushing him away. And this is what the crucifixion is. Jesus came as God, a tiny little pinpoint of life, born poor on a pile of hay, to embody the nature of God so that we can understand finally and fully who God is to the extent of our ability to understand. And so as he walked through life, as conflicts came at him or whatever came at him, came at him the most important thing was that Jesus maintained the character of God through those times. And that's the most important thing for you and me, too. It's less important what's happening. It's more important, how do I respond? Am I showing God through this? The Bible says they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. They knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. This is one time Jesus did not stand up and say no more. He allowed this to happen for a greater good. He had every right to object, but he knew there was something greater to be obtained by allowing this to happen. And in the end, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There are times when you and I may be right, but we have to sacrifice our right to stand up and say so in order for a greater good and let God be the judge. This behavior does not look like what the world expects. It's surprising, it's shocking, it may seem weird, it's strange, but it causes people to take notice, to say, that is kind beyond belief. I can't understand why anyone would do that. Well, if I did it, it's not because I am kind on my own. It is because God is kind through me. When we do surprising things like that, God's light can shine. When we look like the rest of the world, it's hard to tell that God is any different. The story's told of a green beret who came up to a speaker after listening to him speak about facing trials in a relationship. And the green beret said, in the green berets we train over and over, and then over and over again. We repeat some exercises until we're sick of them, 
but our instructors know what they're doing. They want us so prepared and finely trained that when trials and difficulties come onto the battlefield, we will be able to fall back upon that which is second nature to us. We literally learn to do things by reflex action. Wouldn't it be beautiful if our reflex action in the heat of the moment did not come out of our sinful nature, but came from the beautiful love of God? That is shocking, and that is something the world can take notice of. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are weak on our own, but you are strong. You have the great desire to relate to us in every minute. And God, we just open our hearts right now and say we will allow you to relate to us. We want to know you better. We want to be your people. We put aside our pride and receive your wisdom. Help our relationships to be healthy. Help you to shine through them in all that we do and say and are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.